Matthew chapter 5. Um, we are in a series called The Sermon on the Mount. I don't even know how many weeks in we are. Uh, verses 1 through 12 was going to take us one week. I think we're in 10 or 11 now. Um, but we are just slowly walking through the teachings that we find from Jesus in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's 107 verses. And uh, our hope and our prayer is not that you just uh, learn what you learn on the Sundays you happen to attend, but that you are digging into the Sermon on the Mount on your own. Uh, we love it when we bring our Bibles to church and we can read them together. We, for this series, also have a Sermon on the Mount notebook. Anybody have your notebook with them? You can throw it up in the air, say you're one of the cool kids. Uh, we got a few. Um, we have given out way more notebooks books that are present in the room today. I don't know what, what's going on here. Uh, if you don't have one, uh, on your way out, they, you can grab one there on the counter on the way out in the lobby. And uh, it simply has the Sermon on the Mount broken down into smaller sections with room to take notes. Uh, it's, the, I think, the first book I've ever written, and we didn't write a thing. Uh, we just like put lined, lined, uh, lined pages in there between scriptures. Uh, one use of that tool would be to bring it on Sundays, take some notes. Uh, the greater use of that tool is for those of you who aren't familiar with reading scripture on your own, don't have a daily rhythm of reading the Bible, uh, this is a really simple way. You just take one chunk of scripture, uh, just pray, Spirit, would you lead me in what you want to speak to me through your word today? And uh, you can read each section. I, I think the longest one might take you 60 seconds if you take your time. Uh, but just read a portion of God's word and then just write one thing, one question, one thought, one application, um, one uh, concern that you have, what one idea, what God is speaking to your life, uh, we just encourage you to do that. Um, also want to let you know, I recognize my voice is a little bit weak today. You might have already uh, caught that. Um, on the 4th of July, I have an alter eagle, ego that comes out called Boom Boom Berry, and I think he got the best of my voice this year, still recovering. Uh, that or second puberty, I'm not sure what's happening right now. Um, but uh, let's just both acknowledge my voice isn't very strong today. Uh, but it ain't going to stop us. Uh, so we're walking through this Sermon on the Mount. Love it if you grab a notebook. Um, the Sermon on the Mount, in the context of what's happening, this is earlier in Jesus' ministry, but he's been performing a lot of miracles. And so a lot of people are gathering around him. Every day there are crowds of people bringing their loved ones that are sick to Jesus, and he's performing all types of miracles. And so daily the crowd is growing. People are traveling from further and further distances just to be in the presence of Jesus. Uh, what they're looking for is some physical healings, to be physically met, uh, whether it's their physical uh, healings that are needed or he's feeding people, like this is exciting to be around Jesus. On this day, however, Jesus pushes pause on the miracles and he walks up onto the side of a mountain and everyone who decides to follow him up the mountain, he delivers this 107 verses, the way that it's broken down in our Bible today, of uh, various topics of what it looks like, what it means to actually follow follow Jesus. Essentially, he's giving his manifesto. This is our group identity. If you want to follow me, I want you to understand what this, what implications this has to your life. And uh, he says, I want you to know that I love you. I love healing you. I love casting out the demons. I, I love performing miracles. I love feeding you. And I'm going to continue to do those things. I will be your provider. But what you need to understand is that following Jesus is not just about physical needs being met, but it is reorienting the entire way that we live our lives, reorienting the way that we view blessing and living in a way that is very counter flesh and living very countercultural. And in the midst of that, Jesus continually provides. 
So he wants to communicate, like, hey, I love that you got faith in me. I love that you're coming to me. I just want you to know that this is a lot bigger deal than am I gonna touch you and heal the sickness that you have? But are you gonna understand that following me is a completely new way of living? And so he sits down and he begins to teach this new way of living. Here at Anchor Church, it's our desire um, that we would orient our lives, the way that we live and conduct ourselves, not just what our Sunday morning gatherings look like, but the way that we conduct our lives, that we would be followers of Jesus, that his practices, his ways, his teachings would guide our lives, Um, that I don't want to be one and we don't want to be a community that goes the way of culture and goes the way of our flesh. It doesn't go well that way, but we want to orient our lives around the teachings of Jesus. So Matthew 5, we're going to read verses 1 through 12 once again here today, and uh, we're going to jump in into uh, verse eight is what we're gonna be focusing on today. If you're willing and able, would you stand with me? And uh, I will read verses one through 12 out loud. You can follow along on the screen or uh, in your Bible, in your notebook, on your phone. Um, I'll read one through 12 together and then we're gonna focus in on uh, verse eight here today. It says this, one day as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and he sat down. His disciples gathered around him and he began to teach them. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. You can take a seat. This first 12 verses are known as the Beatitudes, the blessings from Jesus. Uh, We have recapped every week an understanding that uh, the Greek word makarios is the word used for blessing. And it is not a, if you do the work, you get the reward. It's saying that uh, this is the gift, that it is given freely. Uh, It incorporates this concept of uh, this is, this is, the way of living for the approved, that once we have received the gospel of Jesus, that he lived the life we couldn't live and uh, died the death that we should have died and then grants us his righteousness, that once we have received that, we, God now views us with approval and now we live our lives differently than those who don't have the approval of God. And uh, we've introduced this concept of, of flourishing um, where it's not so much a reward for the good works we've done, but our souls are most alive. Our souls are thriving. We are flourishing when we live from the approval of God and live in such a way that is contrary to the flesh and contrary to so much of the way that culture pushes. So we have uh, talked through the first set of Beatitudes today, we're on verse eight, which I know those of you that were here last week and maybe like things in perfect order, uh, Pastor Tucker preached on verse nine last week and we're jumping backwards to verse eight. I apologize, before you get mad at Tucker, it's my fault, I'm gonna own this. A few weeks ago, we thought we were gonna do mercy and pure in heart the same time in the same message. Uh, that took a turn and it was beautiful and we didn't get to the second half of the message, but I'd already told Tucker uh, that the week he was gonna preach, this is where we would be. And then uh, we weren't, but I said, just keep going with it and uh, I'll take the blame. So if you're type A and this bothers you, sorry. Uh, Some of you are like, just go with it, don't matter. Um, But we're going back to verse eight today. It says this, God blesses those whose hearts are pure 
for they will see God. That when we are living from God's approval, what we live for and what we seek and the way that we conduct our lives is purity, but purity not just at a physical level, purity in our hearts. That we are most alive, our souls are most flourishing when the ways that we are living are for and from a heart that is pure. Again, not just actions, but a heart that is pure, for they will see God. Let's take a moment just to find pure, make sure we are all on the same page. Uh, We've got uh, uh, a definition for you up on the screen. Pure means this, innocent, clean, unmixed, spotless, not watered down or divided, single in purpose and affection. Clean, unmixed, spotless, not watered down, single in purpose and single in affection. What we need to make sure we're on the same page with today is pure in heart and purity in its essence means that it's not just better than other versions, it is absolutely unmixed, single in purpose and affection. That what Jesus is speaking to and what Jesus is after is unmixed single in purpose and affection. This isn't just like God blesses those who have good hearts, who have hearts that are in like the top 50% or 10%. Like it's, it's not about engaging a heart, one heart versus another heart. It's like, is there purity? And what uh, is important for us to understand with purity is any amount of impurity makes the whole thing impure. So we're not talking about mostly good. We're not talking about better than we used to be. We're not talking about better than somebody else. We're talking about purity. And as soon as there's justification for any level of impurity, that, that item is no longer pure. It has to be free from. It is not mixed. It's not watered down. It's not divided. It is single in purpose and affection. I want to revisit a couple early thoughts we had in this series. One is that all Beatitudes are for all followers of Jesus. We don't pick and choose. It's not like, well, last week was kind of challenging when we were supposed to make peace, so I'm taking the week off. Uh, we don't get to do that. This is once we have been living from the approval of the gospel in our lives, that all of these are for all of us. So it's not like some of us get to pick and choose and we're really going to focus on these ones. It's like this is how all of us are to conduct our lives as followers of Jesus. Another thought I want to revisit is from the beginning of time, God has always desired that his people be set apart that they look different, they act different, they function different than the cultures around them. In fact, the majority of the law of the Old Testament is simply God saying, don't do life the way everybody else is doing it. I don't want your government to look like them. I don't want your expressions of worship to look like them. I don't want the way that you conduct your lives and your marriages. Like Everything that he's teaching is like, I am asking you to follow me in a way that is best for you, but it's going to look different than what your flesh desires, and it's going to look different than what the cultures around around you are doing. I want to tell you, it has been that way from the beginning through the Old Testament and through the New Testament and still today, that Jesus isn't introducing a new thought that God's people might look different than culture. He's saying like, this is how it's always been. And I want you to know that as we talk today about purity and heart, this is going to look a whole lot different than what culture is preaching. But it is from the beginning, it has always been God's design that if we're going to follow him, it is not the way of the flesh and it's not the way of culture. Like this is, this is his design. If we follow him, it is not about attending a church on a Sunday morning. It is conducting the entirety of our lives in a way that is totally reoriented from the way that we were brought up, the way that our flesh wants, the way that culture is pressing. And that this is what he has called us to do. And today, most specifically for purity in heart. 
pure is not mostly good. It's not just, well, I didn't go as far as I used to. We didn't cross that line. Uh, that uh, I, I didn't put as much in my system as, as someone else did. This isn't, the, this isn't the argument. The argument is purity of heart. Uh, Proverbs 23, 7 is a scary verse to me. It says, uh, for as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Not what a man does. Not what, uh, it's what is going on on the internal level that nobody else sees, nobody else knows about. It's this internal desire of my flesh, my heart, as I think and as I desire in my heart, that is who I actually am. Meaning we are not who we are based on what we have done or what we are doing or what we're abstaining from doing. Who we actually are, nobody else really knows. It's what was going on in the heart. And so Jesus, he's preaching. He's saying, hey, God blesses those who are pure, not just in their external, but pure in the areas that nobody else knows. Nobody else sees the internal wrestle of our hearts, of our flesh, that purity is not defined by what you have done or what you are doing or what you will do. Purity is defined by the desires of the heart. Meaning a physical abstinence from sin does not equate to purity of the heart. We could probably talk about this with every single sin, um, but I think that sexual expression is probably the most explicit way we could talk about this. And I think sexual expression is probably one of the most important things that we could talk about in relation to purity in heart. I think we could probably all agree that it is possible to be physically abstinent from sexual expression and still not be pure in the heart. The purity is not based on am I doing the act or not? It is possible to abstain from a certain physical act and be full of lust and desire and impurity on the inside. And what Jesus is speaking to, not just in our sexual expressions, but in all of the, the sinful desires of our hearts, he's, he's saying like, I'm not just asking you to have the physical discipline to abstain, but are we gonna peel back another layer and say, this is what's actually the desires of my heart that are impure, that are, are, are need to be brought before the Lord. So much priority was and is so, so often put on external purity, abstinence from a certain action, which again, I don't think there's any problem in saying, hey, we, we need to call sin, sin and stay away from it and not act out certain sinful behaviors. But uh, James 1 teaches this concept of a uh, sin equals death. But what it says before that is like, before sin happens, before the action happens, there's desire that is birthed within us. And if desire is undealt with, desire turns into sin. And when sin is undealt with, sin turns into death. And, and it's usually pretty easy for us to dial it back from death to now let's deal with sin. We gotta stop doing this and we gotta start doing that. And it's all about the physical action which has a place to play. But rarely do we actually go back the next step and say, you know what's causing that sin is the undealt with desire that nobody else really knows about. No one else can really call me out on it. it it's kind of hidden, it's secret. But when the desire, the impurity of the heart is undealt with, it will birth sin and sin will birth death. So if we really want to get serious about sin and its consequences, we have to dial back to heart. We have to dial back to the impurities that are happening internally that maybe no one else even knows about. Jesus uh, takes this concept pretty seriously in uh, some of his later teachings. He uses this concept called whitewashed tombs. And he calls a lot of religious people. He's like, all you really are is whitewashed tombs. On the outside, it's painted, it's clean, it's taken care of. There's flowers, there's memorials, there's tombstones, whatever. But on the inside, it's full of death and rot and decay. And he calls out so many religious people saying, this is all that it is. There is this external presentation of who you are, 
But internally, what nobody sees is the impurity of the heart. Jesus calls it out really strongly. I'm not looking for someone who can play the part and look the role of a religious leader and can look the role of someone who's got it all put together. I'm saying what I want you to deal with is what is the rot and the decay on the inside, and this is where we're going to focus in on. This is the purity of heart. I believe that some today... Come in here and there's going to be a, a clarity and a freedom from the reality that your life is, is a whitewashed tomb. And I've been praying two ways. I've been praying certainly for the conviction that there would be a stirring inside of you of recognition and being called out by the Holy Spirit of the whitewashed tomb mentality of your life. But beyond that, I'm also asking for the freedom that many of you have been looking for. All you've known is abstaining from the act. And there's never even been the revelation of something deeper that could be dealt with. And you're beating yourself up because you're not finding victory over this sin. And all you know to do is to be a whitewashed tomb because you don't know what to do about the death on the inside. So certainly, I hope there is a level of conviction. But I'm also praying that there is just a freedom that is brought to you of this pressure that you have felt to just play the part and act like you have it together and, and you've had all this secret stuff on the inside that you don't know what to do with. I'm praying that today is a day of freedom for you. Jesus, um, as he has done in all the Beatitudes so far, he references some Old Testament teaching that would have been familiar to his audience. Again, these aren't new concepts that he's bringing to light. Uh, this one, we find uh, Jesus clearly referencing Psalms 24, verses three and four say this, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Essentially, who may see God? It says the one who has clean hands and a pure heart. It's the Beatitude. It's God blesses those whose hearts are pure because they're the ones who are going to send them out and are going to stand in his holy place, those who are going to see God, that he's referencing this. But um, if you look at it, there's, there is an omission that Jesus makes. He, he leaves out the part of, of clean hands, and he focuses primarily on, on pure heart. I believe the reason for this is because it's possible, as we've already talked about, to have clean hands and an impure heart. But it's impossible to have purity of heart and dirty hands. The clean hands are the byproduct of, of, of a pure heart. So Jesus is saying like, hey, let's, let's not just develop more whitewashed tombs by just focusing on clean hands. He's like, let's deal with pure hearts because when our hearts are pure, the actions begin to follow. This is, again, I believe a, a moment of freedom for some of you because some have been exhausted trying to keep up the facade. There's some of you in here today that are so scared that what's going on internally is gonna be found out that where you search on your phone at night is gonna be discovered. Where the desires of your flesh are gonna be exposed and you're scared. Some of you, there's so much shame that you're walking around with because I'm participating in all these ways and the people around me seem like they've got it together, but I, I, I'm dealing with this desire internally. I'm believing that today is a day where shame is removed. Believing today is a day where that fear is removed and the exhaustion of trying to keep up the facade is, is taken away because we transition from just working so hard to have clean hands that we peel it back a layer and we start discovering what it means to have a pure heart. I want to ask the question, what do we do? 
uh, about impure hearts. Because the reality is we are all in the process of sanctification. Um, we're so grateful that the justification of Christ is instantaneously, that we are viewed as righteous by the Father because of the finished work of Jesus. And yet we're in the season of living out that holiness. This is something we've talked about a lot. So certainly we're all in a process of sanctification. There's areas that this would speak to for all of us. So what do we do about the impurities that exist and the impurities uh, that we, in the temptations we find? Uh, I want to give a couple of practical biblical advice here, and then we're going to end with the beautiful grace of Jesus, and it's going to be awesome. We're going to get practical first. 2 Timothy 2.22 gives us three really sweet points of what do we do about the impurities of the flesh. 2 Timothy 2.22 says this, run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. Instead, pursue righteous living, pursue faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. We could spend so much time on all three of these. We're going to make it quick. Number one, run. What do we do about the impurities? We run. Some translations use the word flee. Run from or flee from anything that seems to stir up those youthful lusts that are inside of there. Those impurities that we have inside. So often we put ourselves in places, in situations, in environments that stir those up. Well, the first thing we do is we flee from those situations. I want to ask you, what is it that stirs up those, those lusts in your heart, those impurities in your heart? For some of you, it's certain people. Some of you, it's a romantic relationship that you're in. Some of you, it's certain friendships that you hold. Some of you, it's certain locations. When you go to that bar, when you uh, partake of that substance, uh, when you open up that application on your phone, there are certain places that uh, stir up those desires of your flesh. What does it look like to run? to flee. And I actually believe that for some people here today, your response today is that there are areas of your life that need to be adjusted, if not absolutely abandoned, because it's what it means to pursue a pure heart. It's a counterculture and it's counterflesh. But there's some that are in a relationship right now that is out of order. It's not honoring the Lord. And there are some of you that need to adjust, if not completely abandon that relationship. Some of it romantic, maybe otherwise. There are some that need to completely adjust or abandon certain locations that you go to that stir up your youthful lusts. There's some of you that need to absolutely adjust or abandon certain substances that you take that stir up youthful lusts. There's some that need to adjust, if not completely abandon certain applications on your phone, that when you open those up, things go crazy. You delete them, you get rid of them. There is an actual running from that is a part of us pursuing the pure life that Jesus is calling us to. And I know it's not easy. Maybe it doesn't seem like fun, but your soul thrives. Your soul is most alive. That Jesus doesn't want what is bondage to you. He wants what's best for you. And our flesh is always seeking out this temporary satisfaction that Jesus is offering something so much better. And we would say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you, not just because you provide for me, but because you know the best way to live and how to reorient my life. Some of our response to that is we stop running towards and we start running from those things that stir up the impure lusts of our hearts. Number two, we pursue. It says, don't just run from, but pursue righteousness, love, faithfulness. We're not just running away from that which stirs up. We're running towards something. 
I think the problem is, and this is a sick cycle for so many people, is we recognize the damage that sin is doing in our lives. Uh, and so we, we try, we, we've had seasons where we do run from. We stop using and we stop being with that person and we stop going to these environments and, and we run from. But the problem is, is because we never run to anything. We never find the safety, the security, the shelter that is ultimately found in the person of righteousness in Jesus. That's uh, all we're doing is running. And the problem is if you're running from danger and you keep running from danger and you just keep running from danger and you never find shelter, you never find security, eventually you are going to find yourself wearing out, getting tired. You're going to find a place of vulnerability. And all of a sudden that sin and that temptation is able to catch back up. This has been the cycle for some of you. You've tried You've ran, you've tried to be abstinent from it and, and you can be successful for days or weeks or months, but you get tired. It gets difficult. That circumstance happens, that trigger happens and all of a sudden what you had victory over, so, that, so you thought for weeks or months, all of a sudden catches right back up and it takes you back down and then you get tired of it and you get sick of it. So you start running from it again and then you get tired again. And it, this has been people's cycle for years. I wanna tell you, it's not just running from, it's what are you running to? pursuing. The problem starts when we stop pursuing what is righteousness. It's so easy to feel like, well, I'm not where I used to be, so I can coast. Well, I'm pretty faithful to church, and I pray occasionally, and, and, and I give, and I do these certain things, and so because I'm not where I used to be, I can stop pursuing. I want to tell you, the moment we stop pursuing is where danger begins to take place. We never stop pursuing the righteousness of Christ. We never stop the sanctification process. We never stop striving for holiness. We don't just coast on God's grace. We pursue righteousness. For every day that we get to live, we are pursuing righteousness. We run from and we pursue. And number three, I'm just gonna label it community. It says, enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with a pure heart. It says, run from and then pursue righteousness and enjoy the companionship of those people who are also pursuing Jesus and pursuing purity of heart. It is surrounding yourself with people who are running the same direction you want to run. It's really hard to be the only one running a different direction. But when you find yourself in a community of people that are also imperfect, that are also trying to, to be who God's called them to be, but we are moving in the same direction, he says, find this community. Language we use in our house, and we've said a lot in the church as well, is, is who you do life with is who you will do life like. So who are you doing life with? says, enjoy the companionship of those who are pursuing Jesus. Now, this isn't isolation from the unbeliever and that we're not allowed to interact with those, but you know exactly who's influencing you. You know who you're actually doing life with versus who you're doing life around and doing life in relationship to. But who are you doing life with? Because this is who you will do life like. I also love that it says, enjoy the companionship. This isn't like stripping the joy out of your life. It's find those people that are running the way that you wanna run and have a ton of fun with them. Like go enjoy life. Uh, I think groups is such an easy way to, to implement this. We believe in, in group ministry. It's awesome to come together on a Sunday morning and have moments like this where we're all being taught and moving the same direction, but we're not actually going through life together in this room. Uh, it'd be awesome if we could, but we can't. 
It's when you get in a group of people that get, begin to know you and, and that you can run together with and are there to, to weep when it's time to weep and rejoice when it's time to rejoice and can actually get to know below the surface of what's going on in your life that doesn't happen on a Sunday. It's groups. But what I love, and I'm actually growing more and more in my vision for groups is, um, I know personally, I, this isn't for everybody. Personally, I know what, what my wife and I needed in a group. Uh, we couldn't hold the Bible in higher esteem. We love the Bible. We love studying the Bible, but we didn't need another Bible study. We need people to run with. And so a lot of our time coming together is super relational. And certainly there is prayer and certainly there's getting to know a deeper aspects. And we're talking about scripture with each other, but what we need is not another person who knows the Bible. I need someone to run with. And so what is so beautiful about groups is certainly if your group is never praying and never talking about the word of God, something's off. But what some of our groups need to be is enjoying the companionship of someone else who's pursuing Christ. Go play some pickleball together, eat some good food, go on a hike, like cheer each other's kids on at soccer, like go run with them, enjoy life. Don't be like, oh man, I didn't do my homework, so I don't know if I'm welcoming this. It's not about homework. It's about, are you running with somebody or are you by yourself trying to keep up the facade? You want to have victory over the impurities of our hearts. We run from, we flee from those things that stir up and we're pursuing what is righteous and we're in a community that we are loving and we are enjoying and we're pursuing Christ with pure hearts. Some of you, that's the missing element. You don't have community. And I love that you're here on Sundays, but we've got to take steps to build community outside of sitting in the same room with somebody for an hour and a half. You, we build relationship. Be forward with somebody. Get to know them. Enjoy them. The goal today is not that you just leave here trying to be more disciplined in running from sin, but that you leave here today passionately pursuing Jesus and passionately pursuing community. This is where purity of heart is birthed from. Purity is really difficult. It's way more difficult by yourself. But I'll tell you, purity is possible with the Holy Spirit of God, the Holy Word of God, and the Holy People of God. These three elements are so essential. I love the psalmist in Psalm 119 says, how can a young man keep his way pure? I think that question feels more prevalent than ever. Like how in the world, in today's day and age, am I supposed to live in purity? He says a young man can keep his way pure by living in accordance to God's word. You gotta know the word, you gotta be in the word. There's power in the word of God. There's power in the Holy Spirit of God that is guiding us and directing us and reminding us and empowering us. We are a Holy Spirit church. He is our advantage. And it's the holy people of God. And I wanna tell you that if you are striving to be pure, man, I'm all for accountability apps. I'm all for listening to the podcasts and reading the books. And I think that there is certainly discipline that is a part of the equation. But if you are trying to do this uh, just in isolation to that, good luck. If you're not doing this without every day getting up and getting into the holy word of God and being refilled with the Holy Spirit of God and running with the holy people of God, then good luck. But it's when we are daily saying, Holy Spirit, I'm dependent on you. I'm aware of you. I'm listening to you. You are guiding me. Word of God, I am opening up to you. You are speaking to me. You are live and you are active. You're transforming me into the image of its author. I'm running with the holy people of God. I'm encouraging somebody. There's someone who knows what's going on in my life and they're speaking God's truth into my life and they're calling me up and they're praying with me and I'm praying with them. I've got the people of God around me. This is how we do it. It's the Holy Spirit of God, the Holy Word of God, and the Holy People of God. I'm going to ask the band to join me. 
I want to finish with this incredible gospel of Jesus, his response to our impurities, his, his role that plays in this. So we've got three steps of how we tangibly go. But I love this scripture here in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, if we confess our sin, he, speaking to Jesus, he is faithful and he is just. And he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I'll read it again. If we confess our sins, he is faithful. He is just, and he will, not might, not sometimes does, but he will forgive and purify us from all unrighteousness. This is his grace upon grace upon grace. This verse would be some of the best news we've ever heard if it ended halfway through. If it said he's faithful and just and he will forgive us, that's enough. That's incredible that I would be forgiven of my impurities, the consequences that I deserve to pay, that, that, that it's taken away from me, the debt is canceled. It's incredible. That truth alone should put us on our knees in awe of Jesus, that he is faithful, he forgives us. But it's better than that. It says, and he's faithful to purify us from all unrighteousness. It's only the grace of God that could see the depths of our impurity and forgive it. It's the incredible miracle, grace of God, that he'd purify it. The reality that we could come in here today with all sorts of impurities, we've all got them. And yet we can place our lives, place our heart in the hands of the purifier and come out the other side spotless, unmixed, not watered down, single in affection and purpose. Not because of the new disciplines we put in place, but because our heart was placed in the purifying hands of Jesus Christ. To consider what a purification process is, whether that's a water filter or fire, taking out the impurities of metal, where it can get, it just gets placed in the right location. What comes out the other side is pure. Today, we have an opportunity to come before God who loves you, who's already paid the price. He's faithful. No matter what you, your impurities are, no matter how much you've accumulated, no matter what you've done or what you struggle with, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful. I wanna speak this over your impurity right now, the sin, the shame that you carry. I wanna tell you when you come to Jesus, he is faithful and he will forgive that sin and he will purify. We are just unashamedly gonna stand on the truths of God's word. We don't have to wonder if he'll forgive you today. We don't have to wonder if he'll purify you today. He will, he's faithful, and he will forgive, and he will purify. Will you come to the purifier? If you're willing and able, would you stand with me? Maybe you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus. You don't consider yourself a Christian. I wanna tell you 
The faith that we profess, this gospel that's been offered is not something that we work for, that we earn, that we achieve. It's a free gift from Jesus. It's a free gift of grace. Forgiveness and purification is not once we've like attained a, a, enough credit to, to, to deserve it. It's we come before and we say, Jesus, I'm, I'm in need of a savior. I can't fix this. I can't change myself. I can't rescue myself. We come to Jesus and it's faith that he did live the life that we couldn't live, that he died the death that we should have died and he resurrected from death, death to overcome all of sin and its consequences. And he offers life to us freely, life abundant and life eternal. And he's also kind enough to say, and when you receive this, it's a total reorientation of the way that you live. We don't want to, uh, we just want to be honest about that with you. When you choose to follow Jesus, it certainly is the most beautiful, gracious, most loving gift you could ever receive. And it changes the way that you live from here on out. But His grace is available to you. Maybe here today, um, maybe it's your day to say yes to Jesus. We don't think you have to say certain words or you gotta go through a certain ritual. We believe that the Holy Spirit is already working in your heart. Maybe today you can just say yes to Jesus from right where you're at. This is what we do ask of you for those of you who today or maybe even recently you've decided to start following Jesus. Uh, on that QR code, there's a, a little tab that says, I've decided. And simply what this is, is a place to put your name and a way to contact you. Our desire is not to do anything weird or embarrass you, but to, to say, hey, we're in this together. We wanna run with you. We don't, we're not asking you to figure this out on your own, but how do we bring you into community? Have someone pray with you or answer some questions. Uh, we can text with you, we can email, we can call, whatever. If today or recently you've decided to put your faith in Jesus, would you take the literally 15 seconds to put in your name and, and the best way to contact you. That'd mean the world to us. Maybe you're here today and you are a follower of Jesus. I'm believing that um, there is a, a response to the word today. Um, and we're actually going to just go old school altar call. I don't know if that's familiar to you or not. Uh, what it is, is it's simply taking a tangible movement step in response. Um, I believe that God is already working and will continue to move any place in this room and he's gonna keep moving after we leave here. But I believe that now I've experienced something, something shifts when we tangibly, physically respond to something. I just believe that today is a day where we need to open up for response. And all this is gonna mean is uh, this space up here. We got room around the sides of stages as well. I'm gonna ask you if, if today's a day that you need to respond and maybe it's about the whitewashed tomb part. Maybe it's just repentance. Maybe it's just saying, I need to put my hands or I need to put my life in the hands of the purifier. And there's like a response that you feel uh, giving to today. I'm just gonna ask you, would you find some space that's not in your chair, physically move? We got the front here, we got the sides here. And um, would you confess to him? and let him forgive and purify. Uh, you may have someone on our team, our prayer team, or some of our leadership come behind you, put a hand on your shoulder. We're not gonna ask you to confess to us or do anything that's gonna put you in a, a place that maybe you're not ready for, but we are gonna pray with you. We're gonna pray over you. We're gonna believe that what God is doing inside of you, that what he's beginning, he's gonna complete. And uh, so we're gonna offer this opportunity to you. And uh, I, I just believe that there's, there's men and women who need to respond and put your lives in the hands of the purifier. We've got about six minutes before we're gonna close up on time for our kids' leaders. Um, I believe God's gonna do something really special right here. God, we just right now, we wanna be open, receptive, and responsive. Your word is producing fruit in our lives, and we want to receive and respond.
God, would you do in these next six minutes so much more than could be done in an hour of just teaching? Uh, you're going to touch lives in individual ways. We're open. We're responsive to you right now. In your name we pray.